On today's show, we're going to talk about things we didn't talk about enough last season. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. All right, I'm Chris Manning, one of the hosts of Lockdown Cabs. Later, really in a second, Evan's going to come in. We're going to talk about Evan Mobley. We recorded this episode last week due to some travel that I have for my day job. A bit of news to just hit off the top here real quick that uh, we're, we're not going to do a whole episode or anything. It's hard to do one. But Kobe Altman, the Cavs president of basketball operations, was arrested over the weekend uh, for an OVI. This was broken by the Fox 8 Cleveland I-Team. Um, this, this incident happened around at 9 p.m. on September 15th. In Cleveland, he was uh, initiated in a traffic stop by the Ohio State Highway Patrol, and during the interaction, he was placed at arrest for OVI after he uh, refused a breathalyzer test. He there were quote indicators of impairment were observed, and quote he was charged with committing a marked lanes violation in OVI. The Cavs have released a very short statement indicating they're aware of this, and they'll comment further media days in a few weeks. I suspect that'll be the next time we hear about Altman or any of that. Um, Ohio's impaired driving laws for a first offense result in, could result in three days in jail or in most cases in enrollment in the state's driver's intervention program. It also carries a fine ranging from $375 to $1,075. Altman, who did turn 41 over the weekend as well, obviously he's been with the Cavs since 2012. He was promoted in 2022. This will update the story here on Locked on Cavs as more information becomes available as we learn more. But Kobe Altman was arrested over the weekend. I would suspect maybe a suspension or something for him, but he's not going to lose his job or anything like that. But uh, I think unfortunate decision-making on Altman's part to be in that situation, to not get a driver, um, and to end up there. And we'll see what he has to say. We'll see what the team has to say come media day. But now now we're going to just have the awkwardly tradition to talk about Evan Mobley and where he is going to go in year two. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always, for his work on production and Astral Radio for the music on the way in. Today's show, Evan and I are going to go back and forth telling you things that we don't think we talked about enough last season. We each have picked three topics. Evan has two on this one, and I have one. On the next episode that'll come out on Friday, it's the opposite. I have two, and Evan has one. So we're going to dive uh-huh. into these and start thinking back about last season, trying to project it forward a little bit as we are. A few weeks away from Media Day. Uh, Media Day this year for the Cavs will be October 2nd, so we'll have obviously a ton to break down that Monday, um, October 2nd, when it comes, which it's, is, it's, again... It's closer than we realize. It's snuck up. But Evan, you have the first topic today. Present it. Tell me what you're thinking about here. So, obviously, the Cavs brought back Ricky Rubio, not this last offseason, but the offseason prior. And in his limited time with the Cavs before he tore his... ACL against the Pelicans like Rubio was like a key factor for the off the bench for the Cavs they do flip him in a first round pick to the Indiana Pacers for Karis LeVert I think expectations were heightened just based on Rubio's on-court impact for the Cavs um 
heading into last season, but obviously it was a bit one note. It was a little underwhelming. I think there were moments, especially in the postseason when the Cavs leaned on Rubio that he wasn't able to deliver. And you wonder if it's a physical thing. You wonder if it's a mental thing, but like <clears throat> at least in terms of just like the Cavs bench rotation, we talk about this a lot on this show. Like they, they yes, they had Max Truce, They had George Niang like that adds two new bodies to the rotation naturally. Maybe ties your room floors with minutes too, but like, I, I think we can't, and I, I said this in our group text when we were like just laying out ideas. I said, uh, the understated value of what Ricky Rubio provided to the Cavs when he was like fully healthy and more importantly, fully confident because you said it best whenever we talked about Rubio, like in terms of just before his time with Cleveland, like he wasn't like a superstar defender, nor is he ever really been in his career, but like he played bigger than what his physical limitations mm-hmm. kind of gave him and that was understated with what he gave the Cavs I think it's also just the fact that like he really gave the bench units harmony in terms of just getting Kevin Love rolling or maybe there was times like shoot I don't know like Colin Sexton for the brief moment that he was available for the Cavs for he tore his meniscus and like there's just the, the Cavs clicked a little bit better with their bench unit and Sure, it's a little trickier the year prior, the year after the fact that you have Donovan Mitchell in the equation. Like that trumps a lot of things for the Cavs. Um, and then obviously, like you're waiting for Ruby to rehab and recover. But it, it just that lightning in the bottle experience that Ricky Rubio was for the Cavs is kind of hard to recapture. And I think it, we didn't talk about enough. Like maybe that was a bit of a one hit wonder, even though like we talked about how he was regressing to the mean a little bit before he had that pretty catastrophic injury to his career and just the setbacks we see now. But it's just interesting to think like how different would Rubio be if he never suffered that ACL tear at the Pelicans, like with the Casby firing all on all cylinders, they had signed him to a different contract. Like It's like, it's an interesting thought exercise, but I just think we can't understate how valuable he was when he was healthy for Cleveland. And then like, I think that really skewed expectations for him when he did come back from the ACL tear the following season. I think where I go with this with him is I, I, I think there's a, it was kind of uncomfortable because of what he meant to the team the year before. I think what Rubio has meant to the organization, what he's been as a player I think it got uncomfortable to think that just talk about where he fell off, where things went off for him, right? I think that is to me where I kind of go with this because I think we almost just, you give a guy like that the benefit of the doubt because of what he did, Mm -hmm. trying to be, I think, kind and empathetic. But then it also just, it fell off the rails for him. It was never the same last year. And I, but that also is, it's, it's very predictable. Like the the story of him coming back is really cool, but it's also very predictable yeah. to me that someone coming off a, at his age, coming off the second ACL tear in that same knee, would have that. And I think it, it just it's uncomfortable to think about the mortality of guys like that and reckon with it. But I think we kind of have to. And I think to me, I don't know how much exactly I feel like they missed him last year, but I do think it got really uncomfortable to talk about that he just wasn't the same guy and they, that them trying to recreate the magic with him just didn't exactly work. Well, I'll say it like this. Like, do you think they missed him when things got tight come like playing tournament time? Like, I don't think even with the fully healthy Ricky Rubio, like regressing back to the mean, they were beating a Kyrie Irving 
uh, Kevin Durant led Brooklyn that squad. But like that game against Atlanta in the playing tournament, like the Cavs were feeling themselves quite a bit in the first half. And then you saw them collapse and lose and have their season end much sooner than I think a lot of us expected. Like you have to wonder, does a fully healthy Rubio who at least had his finger on the pulse of this team was a guy that Darius Garland gravitated to, um, so, or wait, are you going back? Are you going back a full year to like when he was a full year? Like, just, if he was fully healthy, thinking, do you think we have a different conversation about it entirely? Like, there's not this mental hurdle, there's not this physical hurdle he had with the ACL tear. Like, if that doesn't happen, does the season prior to getting Donovan Mitchell end differently with Ricky Rubio? Like, it's, it's I don't know. Like, I thought of, I've been thinking about this a bit. Like, and like you said, there's the empathy factor in terms of just like what Rubio is dealing with now or just like the recovery and like there's the excitement behind that. And maybe like, oh, maybe there is some juice still in this um, player that the Cavs can squeeze out of. But I don't know. I, I think about like it, it's a grandiose thing. Like if Rubio was always healthy, obviously Karis Avert doesn't end up with the Cavs. I'd be surprised if the Cavs traded Rubio if he was healthy. But um more than that, like I just feel like Rubio's impact before he had that ACL tear was much more impactful than what we've gotten from Karis Levert up to this point. And I sure. wonder what trajectory the Cavs are on when just like kind of looking at those two from like two different like what if lenses. Well, I th- I think if I'm gonna roll that ahead to last year, let's just say you get a Rubio that didn't get hurt and like you could have just brought him back and kind of assumed that even if there's some drop off that mm-hmm. he could have been someone you could have really banked on. I think to me, that's the guy, I think that guy you missed last year a little bit just in the playoffs more than anything else, because I think that guy's a creator as a big defender to kind of help you navigate some of that would have been really helpful. You couldn't trust him to play real minutes in the playoffs with where he got physically last year. That guy that, Got that went down in in New Orleans, probably hunting for a triple double, just like didn't exist. And I think when you get to last year and you think about what you could have used a version of that guy scaled down because you brought in Mitchell, you hit your limits with Rubio, and I think you can't bank on that going forward. That was magical in a lot of ways what he was doing. I think last year you missed the composure, you missed some of the the defensive stuff with him. I don't know if it, how much it, that guy exactly is changing the season. I don't really. Like I think yes, the answer is yes. You go back two years, yes, but I think last year it's a little it's a little bit different to me. It's a little bit more tricky to consider. <clears throat> so, like you said, it's tricky. It's nuanced in the fact that you're going way further back in time. But like, I don't know. It, like you said, um, if Rubio's confident, if he's healthy, if he's more ingratiated with the Cavs are doing, you'd assume that they still go get Donovan Mitchell and they have Ricky Rubio coming off the bench. Maybe no Karis LeVert. So there's like a little bit of different back end rotation guys, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's just more so the fact, like you said, that one, you look at the play in tournament uh, when they lose to Brooklyn, then Atlanta, and then you look at the playoffs against the Knicks. Like if Rubio is much more comfortable He's much more functional as a player in terms of just like realizing that, hey, I, I'm not the shooter that I was early into the season. Like I'm able to like be the table setter and the guy who makes sure the trains are arriving on time that you people working within the flow of the offense. Like who knows? Maybe Kevin Love is still on this cast team if Rubio is available and healthy at the beginning of the season because I think Kevin Love's six man of the year campaign goes hand in hand with Ricky Rubio, just like really building a lot of momentum for him off the bench uh, behind Evan Mobley. So there, it, it's it's a broader question, but 
I, I think like looking ahead to this upcoming season and now we have like the uncertainty of whether or not Rubio is going to play because he did step away from basketball for mental health reasons that if he isn't confident in who he is as a player physically or mentally as well, like do the, I'm not saying the Cavs like cut bait, obviously, but like, is this just like, okay, when we talk about rotation stuff at the back end of the rotation, we just remove Rubio from the equation, despite maybe how impactful he can be if he is fully healthy and like fully ingratiated in what the Cavs are trying to do. Sure. I think, I think, I think if we're looking at just last year, I think, I think what I'm trying to, I think with last year, what you're thinking about is just that. I think you feel like you miss him at a very certain point in the year and how much you can extend that forward. I think is, is an interesting question of like, was that sustainable? Was some of that real? All right, we'll talk coming up next. My first one, we're going to center on Evan Mobley and a defensive question. We'll tune in for that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical and their Jace Case. The Jace Case provides five life-saving antibiotics for burn to use. All it takes to get a Jace Case is to fill out a simple online form and in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. You can get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions. Doctor-created, doctor-recommended. Do not be caught unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to take care of themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. They have, I mean, they have customers, for instance, that have said that has saved them from not having a doctor in town. Frank wrote, as easy as one, two, three, and it came just in time. I received the package the same day. I got a science infection and my doctor was out of town. No appointments for days. Thank goodness it arrived. Jace Medical is simple. You go online, you fill out a form, and then you get a prescription life-saving medication right to your door. The Jace case gives you peace of mind so that you are not just hoping you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medicine on hand. You can save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with from Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using our code LOCKDOWN at checkout at, J- at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. All right, coming back in here on Locked on Cavs. Evan, my first thing is Evan Mobley in the 3-2 zone. Last season, uh-huh. they didn't see it. We didn't. We saw it here and there. There's a different way they used him on defense, which we're going to talk about in this segment. But I think about his rookie year and the 3-2 defense, the Kevin Garnett zone, as it was called by the coaching staff and by J.B. Baker's staff publicly a lot. That was a, and, a thing and, they used to... And. Friend of the program, Mac Robinson. Well, you know what, Mac did. Mac- Matt Max listening. Max, Max, a good fan. I have, and I count like three hundred thousand TikToks from him via DM. So yeah, I'll here's the, okay, later. Mac. If you're listening, I'm gonna sh- call, I'm gonna call you out right now. Stop DMing me things on TikTok, an app I don't <laughs> open a lot. Text I'm me. I'm glad. I'm glad Text you're also. Me. Text I'm me. I'm glad you're Text also me. a, Mac, a Mac. friend with Mac Robinson on TikTok because. Mac, text me. Stop sending I me love, TikToks. I, text I me. I love Mac so much, but I have text so me. many to look at, and I'm afraid to look at them at this point because there's so many of them. Text me like a normal human being, like an adult man who has my phone number, Mac. Grow up. Okay, Evan Mobley. 
3-2 zone his rookie year. He is at the top of the zone. It is a common look for them and eats up space. Last year, don't see it. Instead, what you saw them do, particularly, I think, of the Heat game against Jimmy Butler, where they stash him on the lead scorer and say, you're going to eat that guy up. We're going to dictate a 4-on-4 four four on this other side. You're going to eat up that guy. We didn't see the zone. I have theories, Evan, as to why we didn't see it. I think it should come back. I think it's a look you have to incorporate to continue elevating the defense. I don't. I think you have the personnel to do it. I think it would relieve some of the burdens of the small guards at times. I just don't, I, I, it's a failure for me as someone who's curious about this to not have asked about that last year. This is something that it's like, it was such a linchpin of Mobley's rookie year and what made him great. And then it just didn't exist in year two and it was never really discussed publicly. So you said there are theories. What is your theory about Memphis? Because it is an interesting thing. Like this was a linchpin of what made Mobley so effective defensively. It, it created certainly a unique wrinkle in the fact that like this is a, late 90s, early aughts thing that uh, maybe some NBA teams don't prep for uh, on any given night like the, the Cavs can deploy. But like, what is your working theory on this? I wonder if they liked the zone a little bit in part because they had bigger wings they could run it with. So like, okay, you could have, <clears throat> you could have, you know, Rubio was in that zone a lot and Rubio can play as this bigger wing. Um. I think that, I wonder if they felt like they didn't have the size to really support the wing, but I think my and especially if Mobley's gonna if Mobley and he's the only big on the floor is gonna play so high and Markkinen's gone as well, so you don't have Markkinen there to kind of be near the rim and at least be a big body. Mo, if Mobley is at the top of the key, you're kind of abandoning having a rim protector, like you're abandoning that end of it. So like, could you play Damian Jones this year and try to get away with that? I don't know. I think offensively you get into some trickiness there, and I think they were certainly tilting things more offensively last year to kind of elevate that side of the floor. I think, but I think you could like do it this year and it's like, maybe you try Damian Jones, you put Struce and Yang on the floor to at least be big on the wing. And then you have one of your lead guards and, or maybe Levert's in there instead of the Yang or something. I just, I think it's, it was a size on the wing question is my guess. I don't know that to be true, but if you think about what made it work around Mobley and if you're going to pull the rim protector out, you need to be big to stop penetration. And I think the roster kind of made a thing you could have put on this list. It just was a little bit small last year. Well, I agree with like last year. It was small on the wing. Like the year before it was just, not the year before it was not. No, it, I think a lot of it was Rubio playing and quote unquote bigger than he is. And you look at this current like roster and how it's constructed for the Cavs. Like George Niang isn't going to be that guy who can play bigger at the wing spot because he get picked apart. Like maybe it's Karis Levert because Levert's stepped up. Maybe it's, a Coro and you feel comfortable enough to like cover his shooting deficiencies on offense to make like the two, the, the three, two zone rather work. Um, it's an interesting thought exercise. And to your point, like that's a question worth asking JV Bickerstaff, whether it's at media day or like in the degree of like training camp, like, Hey, this is something that was effective in Evan's rookie year. He's clearly one of your better defenders. Like, what can you do to like execute terms of in terms of like personnel or just kind of making the fits work? Because I don't want to say Rubio was like the linchpin for the holding to work. I think it's Evan Mobley being very comfortable in those situations and just like being asked to like step up defensively in that way. It's like a five that is pulled away from the basket to do other things, but. I don't know. Like in terms of like what's presently constructed, like the Cavs got bigger, quote unquote, on the perimeter with like Struce Niang, Ty Jerome's a bigger swing band guard, but like 
not like a plus plus defender. Like they, they didn't get like a, a, an otherworldly stopper at that spot either. So like it's I don't know. And you I didn't also wonder if, like, before, if you didn't. No, no, I I agree with you. So like I don't know if like that is something they can re-implement heading into year three. Just because like it was something that was like super effective that the Cavs worked with in Mobley's first season as <clears throat> a rookie and. It's just interesting that they abandon. I don't want to say abandon it because I'm sure there's moments that they used it during last season I, as well. But I like, can't think of one because I it stopped happening. And I remember having a conversation with front of the program Danny Cunningham about this, and we were just like, we don't like it. Just was gone. I don't think that if they used it, it was like once. It really wasn't. It couldn't have been more than a couple times. So Someone it wasn't a feature. It was a wrinkle. So yeah, but like prove us if tell, that, tell us we're wrong. That. But yeah, but like. Is it just something that the whether it's mobile saying like, hey, I'm not comfortable doing this, or like the Cavs like we can better utilize that mobile in other ways? Like it's an interesting question and also like thought exercise because the Cavs also don't really have the personnel to implement that because again, I don't think Rubio is like the linchpin of it, but like does having a guard that is comfortable playing like on the perimeter and being just bigger and comfortable defending like one through three to really like paramount to the success of just this defensive wrinkle the Cavs were using uh, make it functional. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, we have one more from Evan. He's going to present his last topic for this one. So stay tuned for more Locked on Cavs. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into the NFL season right now with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season. That's FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel has great odds on the Browns, Cavs futures as well. So check all of it out. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and the official sportsbook of Locked On. You can snap into the NFL season right now with FanDuel. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. They have a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And again, the official sports book of Locked On. Evan, present your last topic here. So the Cavs are a team that two seasons ago, Evan Mobley's rookie year, that um, took a lot of teams by surprise, I think, and also just spectators, fans, et cetera, included. And heading into this last season when they acquired Donovan Mitchell, like expectations changed quite a bit. But I think back to the rather abrupt ending to the season at the hands of the New York Knicks and then like Kobe Altman's exit interview where he's talking about how well, yeah, we were out rebounded by New York. We were out hustled and out intangible, et cetera, et cetera, by the Knicks as well. But we were able to do X, Y, and Z in the regular season. We were able to get Donovan Mitchell's best regular season ever, but Donovan Mitchell shut up flat. Like, are the Cavs a team that 
And I, I guess like a comparison point, like are they the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning at the helm where they do all this crazy, amazing, wonderful, fantastical stuff in the regular season, but they run into their Achilles heel, which is the postseason or more so in Peyton's case, like Tom Brady or the biggest moment. And um, you watch the Cavs crumble in real fashion. Like, is it a coaching thing? Is it a personnel thing? But like, I, I talked about this a little bit many, many episodes ago, but like, Going forward, I, I don't care what the Cavs do in the regular season because when the postseason rolls around and let's say they get flamed out in the first round again, like I could care less that you're one of the number one defensive teams in the regular season. Like you, you got embarrassed by the New York Knicks or a team that you probably should have beaten in the first round. And then then let's say like the Cavs beat the Knicks last season, like they go out in six or seven against Miami, a team that eventually makes the NBA finals like that. That's much more noteworthy than getting absolutely punked by a team that at least on paper you're better than. And I just wonder like how much longer can we use regular season wins as a barometer of success? And like, we talked about this, like in terms of ingratiating the new guys, but like in the grand scheme of what this Cavs team does going forward under, under JV Bickerstaff with Garland, Mobley, Mitchell and Allen is like your top four. Mm hmm. How much more can we use the regular season as a barometer for success before we say like, okay, this goose might be getting cooked because we're not something just isn't clicking. I think it's I think it's this year. I really think it's this year. I think this year coming off the playoff loss, considering you have the Mitchell pressures, considering Evan Moby's in year three and Darius Garland's year older and is now on his max rookie extension, the quote unquote fun max. I think this is I think this is the year. I think this is when it's it's regular season is not going to matter as much. I think you felt that with how people discussed the playoff loss, I think with how the fan base reacted to it, I think how the team talked about it. I th- I think this is the year where the pressure is on in that way. I think if they win 50 plus games again and or have a great net rating and are the third seed in the East or the second seed in the East or something Mm-hmm. And then they flame out in the first round of the playoffs. Okay, then it's maybe not as long standing as like the Jazz and like what happened there with their reckoning. But I think you're going to have some reckoning and some changes and some tough questions to ask at a bunch of different levels. Um, I don't know exactly what that entails or where that goes. Or and it's not even fair to look ahead that far to me. But what I do mm-hmm. think is that the last the playoffs and the way they got punked out of it, it's not like they made it to the second round and like got knocked out by the eventual champ or a team that made the finals or something. Yeah. They got straight up punked by a team that then the Miami Heat pretty much dominated and were aided by a player who the Cavs cast off because he couldn't play for them anymore. The way yeah. they went out is just the exact kind of way that I think sets up this year to just be all about April and May and what you do there much less than it is what do you accomplish in the regular season this year. And like we didn't talk about this heading into the show, like the NBA strict or made it much more hard for the like designated rest days for players. Like the Cavs could be a team that's impacted by this. And I wonder, does Cleveland focus on, I don't know, like a November game or even like a January game against whatever team on the road? Maybe it's a team that has championship aspirations, like the Nuggets, or it's a team like San Antonio that is much better with the victor of Mignana, but like maybe is a step away from it. Like, and they're looking at the NBA draft or something like that. Like, I, I don't know, like do the Cavs like take every game, every opponent, like it matters or 
and I'm certainly biased a little bit, or maybe my like lenses are tinted a little bit, but like there, I, I think about like back to the LeBron era Cavs, uh, the, the second stint at least where they made four consecutive finals. Like you could tell like this Cavs team could care less about the regular season after LeBron came back for the second time. And like they're focused on the postseason. They're most entirely was a great proponent of this, like preparing te- things for the postseason that like teams couldn't prepare for, or the Cavs kept, the, kept their cards very close to the vest. So like they didn't reveal what their strategies were. Like do the Cavs have that gear? Do they have that level to hit that? And do they not maybe prioritize or obsess over regular season success? Because, like you said, like April, May, even June, if you go that far, or depending on how the final shake out July too, like there's much more on the line. And to your point, like, I think it's this upcoming season and I don't know what wholesale dramatic change looks like. Like there's could be a lot of it. There could be none of it, but the Cavs had a very good off season. And now I'm just like curious, like, okay, what do you guys do to not rest on the laurels of regular season success? Because you only get that benefit so many times before fans or people who analyze this team at every single level um, just kind of say like, okay, enough's enough. Like either you're successful or you have to get off the pot and move on from this situation. I think they're, they are not at the level. Here's the thing. They are not where LeBron was because they're not LeBron James where they can, they can say the regular season doesn't matter. that was my reference point. We're like, do you, how seriously do you take the regular season before you realize like, okay, this doesn't matter much unless it's seeding. And then like, we got to be as healthy as possible. And like, we don't show our hand as much and like really do some crazy stuff to like throw off the Atlanta Hawks. We're like, which were like the Atlanta or the regular season darlings and the Cavs punked in five games. They are, they are not a team that can do that, but they're also a, a team now in a weird spot where like they have to accomplish something beyond there and the regular season doesn't matter. Like they the cat the best case scenario for the Cavs is they rack up a ton of regular season wins and are the third seed in the East or something like that. Or the second seed mm-hmm. or something. Just really, really successful regular season team. And then at level up and gets mm-hmm. like the second round of the conference finals and they they thread the line of like hey we we took this great regular season success and actually built on it whereas last year it made them look like I don't think they were frauds but like they came out looking like frauds I wouldn't say they're frauds because there's a I lot of I didn't, yeah I don't either but they star think level they come out looking that team. yeah but I think they just they, come out looking that way yeah I, you know? I I I understand that thought because if you don't watch the Cavs on a day-to-day basis like we too like we do and you're like tuning into Cavs Knicks because there's off-season intrigue or off-court intrigue and um just intrigue in general because you love the NBA or just basketball in general like yeah you're like watching the Cavs like oh this team did x y and z in the regular season Donovan Mitchell scores 71 points blah 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 um they're like one of the best teams like not with LeBron James on the roster where like they have nothing to show for like yeah there's the the stink of being fraudulent with it, but maybe now like you're trying to distance yourself from that to like build out of the shadow of LeBron. Like it's an untenable task because it's just hard in general, but like the Cavs are at a weird crossroads where they they can say like, yeah, we are an organization that is able to build out of the shadow of LeBron James and be a different organization entirely. But a regular season success only does so much because 
people only remember what happened recently. And, and to your point, like fraudulent is a term that could come up because the Cavs got punked in the first round. Like they, other than game two, like they laid down and let New York do whatever they wanted to them in those four losses. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Darrell. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing Back at You Friday with another round of things we didn't talk about enough last season with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hope you tune in. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars only if you've not already. 